the book of Daniel. That's where we'll be today. So we're giving our attention to establishing some faithful rhythms, faithful habits. Um, the imagery you've seen on the screen is uh, basically saying that small decisions done consistently over time can have a major impact on your life. That's what that little domino cycle is supposed to represent, that small, consistent, faithful decisions can have a big result. Uh, it's these faithful, these small, faithful disciplines that we're calling habits. All right. You know what a habit is. You probably have some bad ones. You may have some good ones. Uh, so today what we're talking about is um, having the courage to start some new habits, new things, the courage to start. Next week, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about stopping. So that I'm sure there's some habits that you wish you didn't have, and there's probably some you wish you did have. And what I want to talk to this morning is some habits that we all need in our lives. Uh, a few years back, Duke University um, did a research project, and they found that over 40% of what you do, what you do every day, is not the result of a decision that you make, but a habit that you have. I get that. That means almost half of what you do every day, of your daily actions, are not results of decisions that you're making in a moment, but rather a habit that you have. So just a rhythm or a routine that's sort of ingrained into who you are. So think about the impact of that. What would it be, what would the impact be on your life if your habits were the things you wish they were? <laughs> if the habits that you had were things that would honor God, that would make a difference in your relationship with God. Uh, one thing we said last week was the habits that you choose begin to shape your character. We actually said this, we become what we repeatedly do. And um, I've put some images on the screen that I, that I hope, uh, well, I hope it didn't stick in your mind. Uh, but I put some images on the screen to, to show you how habits can shape you, right? Um, you have that, uh, okay, so this is, this is me and that's me. So different habits can shape you, right? There's a lot of shape in that picture on the left. Uh, it's not quite the shape I want. This image, what I'm not trying to tell you is how to get your body in shape. I just want to show you that habits transform you, both physically and more importantly, what we're talking about today, spiritually. Your habits shape your spiritual life just as much as those habits had some shape in my life. So what I want to challenge us to, to do today is to be intentional with the habits and rhythms of our lives that draw us into relationship with God every day. You can take that off the screen, Sarah, please. Uh, oh, goodness. So God's going to use, uh, I really believe, for somebody, there's a change like that that needs to happen in your spiritual life. That big of a transformation where somebody would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not talking about the same person I'm thinking of because... That's not who they are. And, and that person would say, that's who they are now. You should see the difference God's made in their life. God's going to use, I believe, this, this message from His Word, this picture of what faithful spiritual disciplines can do in your life. He's going to use this, I believe, in some of our lives, some of your lives, to transform who you are. This is going to be the starting point for you for a major 
transformation. I believe that. I've been praying for that, and I'm just trusting the Lord to do that. So as you find your place in the book of Daniel, um, let's open with prayer and just ask God to do this in our lives. I want to ask Him for transformation. So let's do that. Lord Jesus, we open Your Word today. We just ask that you lay us bare with it. Your word says uh, of itself that it is a two-edged sword piercing to the depths of who we are. That your word has the power to lay us open and expose us. And so God, as painful as that may be today, um, I pray for that kind of exposure to each of us. And then, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you move in this place to stir up in us a desire for transformation, a desire to be changed by the power of God. Lord, we just lay ourselves before you and we ask you, God, to change us. Lord, we want to be changed in the everyday stuff of life, not just in the big moments. We trust that in those big moments... You'll do what what you want to do if in the little moments all along the way, each and every day, we've been devoted and disciplined and faithful with the small things. Those things will lead to powerful moments demonstrating your faithfulness in our lives. So Lord, guide us today in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today let's take a look um, in the scriptures at uh, a character who had some disciplines, some habits, rhythms in his life that had a great effect on his uh, relationship with God first and then on his impact as a leader and ultimately his influence on a whole nation. I'm not suggesting that that's going to be the case with you, but I'm also not saying that it won't be. The rhythms and relationship that you have with God impact everything you do. And that's what we can learn from Daniel. He committed himself to God and his faithfulness in those small things like daily prayer made him the man of God and a man of integrity uh, that radically changed the nation. Would you stand with me as we're in Daniel chapter six? As I think about Daniel, I always when somebody says Daniel, I always think of the story of Daniel and the what? Lions Den. We know that story, right? It's a great bedtime story for your children. I've told it to my kids so many times that they could probably stand up here and tell it to you. Uh, but it's not just a bedtime story. It's an incredible story of the faithfulness and power of our God. Right? And what we're going to see today is what, what was behind the scenes. What was the buildup to that big moment? And that's where we're going to spend our energy Today, Daniel chapter 6, we're just going to read the first 10 verses. You, you know the rest of the story of Daniel in the lion's den, but I want to read the first 10 verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Now those are um, overseers and administrators. 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account. So that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because 
of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground to complain against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the documents so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed He gave thanks before his God. Don't miss this phrase. As he had done previously. Lord, teach us to be faithful. Teach us to establish rhythms. Lord, teach us the power of a habit. Lord, help us to walk out of here um, transformed. By the power of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. What I want to do today is I want to walk us through um, some some teaching points from the story of Daniel. Just three main points. And then I want to take some takeaways for us. Some very practical, very practical teaching. I hope it's helpful for you. First thing I want us to know is that Daniel was disciplined to pray. He was disciplined to pray. Um, Daniel had a God first kind of mentality. And so in chapter 6, verse 10, um, what we see is immediately after he heard that the papers had been signed that outlawed his praying to God, immediately after he heard they were signed, he went back to his house where he had some windows and probably a little rug or something there. And, um, and he gets down. And he prays. And the Bible says very clearly he prayed as he had done previously. So what we see is that this is not an act of rebellion. It's an act of rhythm. This is not something he's doing to be rebellious against the, the king's decree. It's just this is his rhythm. It's his routine. It's a habit for his own holiness. And it's a rhythm that draws him into relationship with God. And he's just unwilling to stop. Even at the risk of his own life. What he realizes is, and he knows, is he's not created to worship a man. He's created to worship God. The one true God. And he is devoted and disciplined to prayer. Nothing's going to derail that. Not a decree from the king. And not the danger of the lion's den is going to pull him away from prayer. He's disciplined to pray. 
The second thing I see here is that Daniel was faithful even when it wasn't easy. I want you to grab your Bible because I want to show you several places in the text. Um, We pick up Daniel's story in the beginning of this book. So go to Daniel chapter 1. And um, to give you a little bit of background, uh, the Israelites are suffering what God had promised they would suffer. And these kings, these Persian kings have taken them captive and uh, they've exiled most of them. But there's a handful that they've brought back and, and Daniel is among them. They've brought a handful back of the sharpest young men. And in Daniel chapter 1, historians tell us that Daniel's about 15 years old. So are um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as we get to know their, their names. But they're about 15 years old. And the king has the intent of discipling them up in the ways of the king. And so he wants them to eat from his table. He wants to to teach them uh, his wisdom. He wants to raise them to worship his gods. He wants to disciple these young leaders is what he's doing. He's raising up a group of leaders who are going to lead his kingdom. And he wants to disciple them in his ways. And what we see about Daniel is that he's faithful even when it's not easy. From the very beginning, a 15-year-old. What we, what we see in Daniel chapter 1, look in, look in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel, he called called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And this thing that unfolds next is a, is a test. The, the chief of the eunuchs says, well, if I don't let you eat from the king's table, you're going to look scrawny. And everybody else is going to look nice and healthy. And Daniel says, test it. God has told us what to eat. And we're going to be faithful to our God. So test it. You feed us the vegetables and and the food that God has told us to eat. And you feed them from the king's table. And after 10 days, look and see. And they do. And the the test comes back. And it's obvious. Like Daniel and his boys, man, they're healthy. They're strong. And these guys are scrawny who've been eating of the king's table. And God gave great favor because Daniel was faithful even when it wasn't easy. You look again in chapter 4. If you keep... If you just read um, this book in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he's he's asked his whole kingdom to translate or to interpret his dream and no one can do it. And Daniel comes before the king with an interpretation that's pretty scary. He comes before King Nebuchadnezzar in, in verse 25 with an interpretation. He says, this is chapter four, verse 25. Well, picking up in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High 
which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat like grass, like an ox, and you'll be wet with the dew of heaven. And he goes on and on interpreting this dream. Can you imagine... As a young man standing before the king, nobody else is able to interpret a dream. And you stand before him and you say, I'll tell you what it means. It means you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to be out in the field eating like an animal. That's what it means, king. That's pretty bold, isn't it? It's fearless because Daniel is faithful. He's faithful even when it's not easy. And that's not the last time he interprets. Chapter 5, King Nebuchadnezzar's um, successor is uh, King Belshazzar, and he, um, long story, they're having a party, and he says, I want you to bring me the, the cup and the, and the serving ware from, um, from God's holy place. Bring it in here. Let's eat from that. And they pour their wine, and they have a big party eating from God's dishes, right, from the holy place. And immediately this hand shows up. It's crazy. And this hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. And the king and his people are like, what in the world? And so after the inscription is written, King Belshazzar says, can anybody tell me what it says? I don't understand this language. And the whole kingdom, again, nobody can tell him what it says. And somebody says, I know somebody. Daniel can tell you what it says. They go get Daniel and he comes in and he says, oh, oh, King Belshazzar, I'll tell you what it says. This day the kingdom will be taken from you. And he looks at another king square in the face and his faithfulness even when it's not easy, is to say, today, your kingdom will be no more. And that's what happened. And now here we are in chapter 6. And here Daniel is um, with a new king, Darius, who because of a political game has found himself in a trap. And the one that he wants to elevate the most, he is actually sentenced to death. And Daniel is not shaken by the danger that he's in because he's been faithful even when it's not easy. And in this moment, I think to myself, okay, Daniel, you got 30 days, right? 30 days you can't pray. And Daniel says, no, I can't, I can't even skip like lunch. I gotta go pray three times a day. This is who I am. Remember the, the little things we do That's who we become. And Daniel says, I can't deny this relationship that I have with my God. This is a discipline, a a rhythm that I'm in. Even when it's not easy, I'm going to be faithful to my God. Thirdly, Daniel, the wording from the Scripture says that Daniel was established. Repeatedly, that's one of the words used about Daniel. Another phrase is that he's distinguished. If you look in chapter 6, verse 3, you'll see um, both of those concepts right there. It says that Daniel became distinguished above all the others. And there was an excellent spirit within him. I give you the references, I think, on your outline here that just from this one chapter that talks about his character. Verse 3 says he's distinguished and has an excellent spirit. Verse 4 says no error or fault was found in him. Verse 16 and verse 20 says that he serves his God continually. And verse 23 Um, After he's taken out of the lion's den, it says it was because he had trusted in his God. Daniel was established and distinguished by his habits. 
by these routines, these rhythms. I don't know if you if you notice, even though the title of this book is Daniel and much of the story thus far has been about Daniel. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's so much of this story that points us to Christ. Daniel is betrayed by his peers, just as Jesus was betrayed by the religious leaders and ultimately betrayed by Judas. King Darius finds himself in a political pickle. He wished he he wasn't in. He had issued a decree that ultimately was the cause of a a death sentence for Daniel, his, his favored one. And in the same way, Pilate was a victim of his own political games. He found himself in a situation where he wished that he didn't have to kill Jesus, but he, but he did. Daniel is put in a tomb of lions and sealed with a stone. If you keep reading, you see that in the text. It was a death chamber, right? Sealed up with a stone and much the same. Jesus is put in a, a, a tomb, a place of death and sealed with a stone. And yet both of these men come out alive. This is this story, as much of Scripture, is pointing us and our attention and our affections to Christ. Let's don't miss that. So Daniel's habits give him a front row seat to the faithfulness of God. If you want a front row seat to see the faithfulness of God, then we should probably follow Daniel's example. These big moments with God have small beginnings. What we need today, I think, is the courage to start. To start something new. So I want to give us three um, takeaway truths. Hopefully very practical things that I'm hoping. Principles taken from Daniel's story. That I hope will be helpful. Takeaways. I want to encourage you to have the courage to start. Here's the first thing. Do first what matters most. Do first what matters most. Priorities matter, right? The things that you prioritize, they matter. Um, If you've ever... Seen an illustration, let me just try to, you know, paint this picture for you. But imagine we've got like a glass jar, okay, a big glass jar. And over here I've got all these um, big rocks and then some small rocks and then a big pile of sand. And i got to get it all in the jar. It's all going to fit, right? But there's a sequence to how it has to go in. If I take the sand first and I dump all of my sand in there, And then I take the little rocks and I grab all the little rocks and I put all of them in there. When I go to put in the big pieces, they will not all fit. They just won't. But empty the jar. If I take the big rocks and I put them in first, and then I take my little rocks and I go to dump them in, some of them trickle in all around the big rocks and they kind of sink in all down toward the bottom. Then I take the sand, the smaller things, and I put that in next. It all fits Perfectly, And here's the principle we take away from that is first things first. Big priorities first. Do first what matters most. 
want to encourage you to, to live your life. And I'm not talking on a broad scale. I'm talking about daily. Live your life in a way that says this matters most. Somebody said, I heard this this week. I thought it was good. So I'll share it with you. Um, something to this effect. The gap between what you value and how you actually live equals the frustration you have in life. The gap between what you value and how you actually live every day, that space equals the frustration you have in life. Let me illustrate. If you really value family, really value my family, but you work 70 hours a week, that equals frustration, right? Some of you nodding because you know and you want to get out of that situation. I'm with you. I hear you. You really value your family, but you give your life to your, to your work 70, 80 hours a week. And this gap between is the frustration you experience because you're not living according to your values. Or maybe you say, I really value God. God matters to me. And yet, days and weeks go by without intimate, personal, devoted time in His Word. An intimate, personal, devoted time on your knees. And then time in community. You miss church. Oh, you miss it again. You miss it again. Something's come up. This is happening. This is going on. I'm too tired. It's Sunday. It's my only day off. It's this, that. I really value God, but the way that I live doesn't reflect what I value. And that the gap between is the frustration you feel. That's just really practical. So the reality is this. The longer you live in that gap of frustration, the more your values actually begin to adjust to the way you actually live. Because we're not going to live in that frustration that long. What we tend to do is we start to, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go for that promotion. I know it's going to be a few hours more that I have to give to work. I'm going to have to miss like another Sunday a month. I'm going to have to do such and such. But really want that promotion because fill in the blank and your values actually begin to shift more toward how you actually live. This is one of the reasons that these habits, these rhythms I'm encouraging us to press into, they matter because they actually work to transform you. You know, the current of life doesn't flow toward God. We don't accidentally get intimate with Jesus. It requires an element of faithful, disciplined devotion to Christ. And what I want to encourage you is to do first what matters most. So these three things I want to tell you. Pray first. Pray first. I don't mean make prayer a priority. I mean make it the priority. Pray first. Daniel teaches us the value of intimacy with God. Secondly, listen to God. He wants to speak to you. He's written a whole book that He just wants you to dig in, to know who He is. Open the Bible. Begin to read. I sat down with a friend this week and we just read one chapter together and our hearts were so encouraged by the Scriptures because God is showing us truth and He wants to do that with you. Take 
what you do and make it what you value. What I value is time with God. So I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to turn off the TV and I'm going to read the Word. Pray, get in the Word, and stay in community. Don't be deceived. We're not meant to live in isolation. We're meant to live in community. Push yourself out of the recliner, right? Push yourself out of the recliner, wherever you spend all your alone time, and invite somebody into it. And when people invite you in, go live in community. This is one of those places where I want to encourage you to like make this Sunday gathering a commitment. This is not to brag. I'm just going to tell you the truth. My children don't ever ask me if we're going to church. And it's not because I'm the pastor. We had a season in life where I wasn't a pastor. I was just working a job. But my children never ask me, Daddy, are we going to church? Why? Because they know the answer. When we're on vacation on Sunday, we're going to church. We're going to find one somewhere. We're going to go. Because we're people who love God first. We're going to do first what matters most. Secondly, do what is right over what is easy. Daniel certainly teaches us this principle, but shortcuts don't pay off in the long run. Shortcuts do not pay off in the long run. We have to think like we talked about last week. Discipline, a good sort of real practical definition for discipline is, is to do what you want most, to choose what you want most over what you want now. To choose what you want most over what you want now. My mind just thinks right now immediately. I'm thinking of the story of Jacob and Esau. I don't know if you've read the story, but if you haven't, I encourage you to read it. Here's what happened. Um, Esau comes back from a long hunt. He's starving. He wants some food. Jacob's cooking a stew. He's like, you want some food? Okay. I happen to have a little food. Esau's like, oh man, fix me a bowl. Please, I'm dying. I need a a bowl of soup. I don't care if it is bean soup. I'll take it. And Jacob's like, okay. Uh, You know, give give me your birthright. And Esau's like, my, my birthright for a bowl of soup? <sighs> okay. <laughs> and that's about how it went. Esau missed it. He wasn't thinking about what he wanted most. All he could think about is what he wanted right now. Right now. Right, this is what I want right now. And he couldn't get out of that bubble enough to make a wise, disciplined decision. And I'm telling you, we, we have got to be the kind of people who choose what we want most values over what we want right now. When I look at Daniel and his life, I see that he trusted God. That was what was said about him as soon as he comes out of the lion's den is that he trusted God. And here's one of the biggest principles. Trust means that I can't control the outcome. I can only control my obedience. Get this. Obedience is on me. Outcomes are on him. Obedience, faithfulness is on me. The outcome is up to him. They said, Daniel, if you pray, you're going to go in the lion's den. He was like, got to pray. I'm going to trust him with what happens in the lion's den. Obedience is on me. Whatever he wants to do in the lion's den, I'm okay. It's okay with me. 
Do what is right over what is easy. And thirdly, this one's real simple. Do it now. Do it now. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you guys argue with your spouse ever. But um, my wife and I, from time to time, have discussions. And uh, one of those that we have is when we're in a hurry to get out the door. And for whatever reason, we're in a hurry. We've got somewhere to be, and there's a time frame that we have to be there. And that's usually a scenario for a conversation. Okay? So um, what I discover in those moments is my wife and I have different priorities. Um, When we're headed out the door, there's some things that matter to her that are not really important to me. (laughs) And that's where I think the conflict happens. Um, So with Lauren, um, she she has this thing about making the bed. And I'm telling you, on most days, I love it. Like, because she makes our bed, like, I promise. I get up and go to the bathroom. I come back and the thing's made. And I'm like, I was getting back in there. She's like, no, you're not. No, it's done. You're out. I'm like, what in the world? And uh, so I've asked her about that. I'm like, why, why, why do you like have to make the bed so, so fast? She's like, here's my thing. Like, I, I have to do it now. If I don't do it now, it won't happen. It won't get done. Um, then I'll feel like a slob and I won't vacuum later. I won't do the dishes later. And then I won't do all these other. And she's like, when I make the bed, I feel like I've accomplished something. The room looks clean. She, she told me, she said, that's the largest thing in our room. It needs to be clean. I'm like, okay. So she has this thing like, I'm going to do it now. So weeks ago, we were on our way out the door. I was like, babe, we're, we're actually late right now. Here she is doing the bed. I was like, that can wait. Nobody's going to see it. No, got to do it now. She's, folding, she's fluffing pillows. I'm like, oh, <laughs> do it now. There's a principle to this that matters. And I'm going to tell you the spiritual application of this, okay? Let me translate from bed making to a really spiritual thing. When the Lord speaks to you and tells you to do something, do it now. He has high expectations of His instructions. Just like you do as a parent. I tell my children to do things and I don't, I don't say, hey, I want you to do this like sometime tomorrow. No, when I, when I give instructions, the, the implied thing for obedience is immediacy, right? I want it done now. And God's the same way. Just this week, I had two different scenarios where the Lord prompted me with something and I thought, I really need to do something else. But no, I'm preaching on do it now. I'm going to do it now. All right. So I did it now. I texted a friend. He was like, I can't believe you just texted me. Like, this is, this is, this is a God thing. Like, how'd you know to do that? I was like, I didn't know to do that. The Lord said, do it. I did it now. This is the moment. He wanted it done. I didn't know to do it. All I, all I can handle is obedience. Trust Him with the outcomes. He knows much more than we know. And He says, I want you to do this. And He means do it now. I want to tell you about your habits, about the rhythms that we need to establish in life. I want to tell you, don't wait to establish these kinds of faithful rhythms. Like, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to make my coffee, and I'm going to pray. All right. In order for me to do that, I have to back up my alarm 30 minutes. God, I'm going to forego on a little sleep to be with you for 30 
undisturbed minutes. So that's a good starting point. Do it now. Like today. Reset your alarm. And if you're like my wife, set about four more. And, and then maybe you'll get up at the right time and get with the Lord. You know, there's something about decisions versus doing. Um, John Maxwell tells this story, and I'll tell it to you. He said that his grandfather, when he was a kid, told him this story. He said, um, Johnny, there were five frogs on a log. You got, you got that in your picture in your mind? Five frogs on a log. He said, uh, four of them decided to jump. How many frogs are on the log, Johnny? What did he say? One. His grandfather said, nope, five. Just because they decided to jump doesn't mean they did it. And I want to tell you, a lot of us are constantly making decisions with very little action. And I want to tell us, do it now. Let's resolve to be in this way, like Daniel, faithful to the Lord. Like, God, I'm going to reconcile how I actually live with the value that God is first in my life. This has got to change. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to stop having good intentions. I'm going to actually start having faithful discipline. The beauty of faithful disciplines is that they'll keep you from making decisions. You don't even have to make a decision. When Daniel was presented with the option of eating from the king's table, he was like, no decision here. Like, I know I can't do that. I'm purposed in my heart. I've already predetermined that I'm not going to do that. So there's no decision to be made. I already have it figured out. What I want to tell us today, let's stop deciding and start doing. I want you to have the courage to start. So here it is. Do what matters most. Pray. Intimacy with God. Find a place, find a time, get a journal, and start, block out the world, and get with God. Pray. Read your Bible. Maybe start a version Bible plan with other people for accountability's sake. I'm reading through Colossians with a good number of you right now. We'll, we'll start another book. As soon as that one finishes, you're welcome to jump in. Commit to church. Don't just be somebody who goes to church occasionally. Be the church. That's who we are. Right? It's not what we do. It's who we are. Commit to be here. Do what's right over what's easy. Sometimes that's some tough decisions. But if you settle into routines, those decisions will work themselves out. And then lastly, do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait. God's telling you right now some things that need to change. And you need to have the courage to start.